0: Matthew 7 starting in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits. but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, we trust you. We trust your word. We trust your judgment, Father. We yield ourselves to um, what Christ has described throughout the last several weeks, uh, the kingdom principles, what it means to be in the kingdom. Lord, may your word speak to us, may it convict us, may it encourage us, Father, may it point us to you. We trust you in all things, work in our hearts with your word this day, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we start in these verses, uh, this
1: is something of a conclusion. Jesus is starting uh, to wrap up the sermon, and he's been walking through the heart of it. And uh, in his very first words of this section we're going to look at, he says, Not everyone who says to me, um, well... Just, it's it's not the first words first, 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 <laughs> uh, in verse 21 he says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven bringing that kingdom of heaven and what it means to enter it idea comes back to Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So so Jesus has made it clear through the sermon that there's a certain kind of righteousness that's needed to be saved, to enter the kingdom of heaven, to be one of the citizens of the kingdom, to be a son of the king. And and now as he's walked through what's that looked like, now now he wants to make it clear that not everyone who thinks they're in is actually in. And he's going to give a series of warnings. There's the two... Uh, the two ways that he starts with the two trees and their fruit next and then the two professors almost or the two different ways of making a profession of faith and then even in verse 24 which we won't look out this week the two different people that build their houses and and all of this help make it clear that that Jesus is giving a warning that not not everyone who thinks they're going to enter is actually going to enter and it's it serves as a conclusion as a wrap-up to the judgment um, Kevin, as Jesus begins to wrap up the sermon,
0: what, what is
1: the tenor
0: and tone of these warnings? Right, I think, well, number one, I think you do, this doesn't come out of the blue, right? This isn't, as you say, it's really connected, as so much of the, the passage here is with Matthew 5, where he says um, where he talks about entering the kingdom of heaven. Well, when someone says entering the kingdom of heaven, of course, everyone wants to go there. Even today, if you say you want to go to heaven, everyone's perking up saying, okay, how do I get there? And then everybody now, from that point on, says, well... You either got this or you got this. But what he's doing is, in continuing with that theme, as everyone's on edge, he comes to a point where he gets very serious. Mm. The tenor of this is, um, you think in terms of judgment, this is that. This is not a, hey, here's a neat little thing. And you can pick either coloring book. You can use either (laughs) way. This isn't some fun little entertaining pick the red pill, the blue pill, right? Like the Matrix or something. No, this gets very serious. Uh, Because we're talking eternal consequences here. This is, you're in line with me or you're not. And so the tenor here should be seen very serious. You should be very sober in looking at this and evaluating your life in the process. Because that's what he was asking them to do throughout this process. So he's taking it like everything else. He's saying, you may have heard it this way, um, but I'm just going to be straightforward with you. If you lust in your heart, it equals this. Or if you think... Poorly of your brother you're, you're murdering he doesn't yeah. mince words and he, and he carries that through with this judgment yeah here. yeah certainly jesus wanted
1: the people listening to take a somber s- s- stern look at their lives internally and just really examine he wasn't trying to build them up with warm and fuzzies no. at this point in the sermon no Let, let's begin to walk through the text when and and, and kind of Look at each one of these warnings that Jesus gives, example by example. So when you look at verse 13 and 14, there's the two gates. Um, enter by the narrow gate. And so he's going to compare and contrast the narrow gate with the wide gate. And he's going to talk about the two different ways with the admonition that, that he wants us to be on the narrow gate. Because it's the one that's, that's difficult to find, but it leads to life. Right. Though there's many more who find the wide gate or who, on, who are on the wide gate as you think about these two, these two paths these two ways that lead to these two gates that lead to these two outcomes this was a very common way of thinking both within Judaism and even within Gro- Greek and Roman writing people mm-hmm. would have been familiar with the two paths concept that, that life was one of two paths that led to two different outcomes and you see that as Jesus is teaching this um Kevin's going to unpack some of what it helps us to understand what what the what the paths and what the roads describe but Specifically, as you think about the narrow gate, and I wanted to say this for some of you that are familiar with the, the old King James language. If you're reading out of the KJV, when you get to verse 14, it says straight is the gate and narrow is the way. And because of our modern vernacular of the straight and narrow, sometimes we think, you know, well, that's, that Jesus is talking about a straight and narrow path, But that's not the idea behind straight. The the idea here is narrow and hard. Think of the the old usage of the word straight like a straight jacket that's constricting and refining. This is a hard, narrow, constricting, that's the concept behind the narrow way that actually leads to life. So I think One of the other things to bring out in all of this is that uh, the the unspoken and implied truth that would have been uh, Explicit to all of Jesus here is what he wanted us to understand is that there is only two paths Mm -hmm. There's the narrow path and there's the wide path and there's Mm -hmm. only those two outcomes Not only are those the only two paths, but everyone is on one of those paths. And I I think that's what uh, is important for us to grasp. And I would even encourage you, challenge you as you're listening to this, as you think about your relationship with God, you are on a path today that is going to lead you to one of these two outcomes. You are either on the narrow path that leads to life, or you're on the wide path that leads to destruction. There is no other option. All roads don't lead to the same place. There's one road that leads to life, and there's all the other roads that lead to destruction.
0: Right, and I think he points it out too earlier in the sermon where, you know, if you, if you, if you lust after a woman, I mean, there's all types of sexual immorality that would go and fit under the, the, that word lust yeah. in, in a lot of different ways it's not that uh it's not that there's just one way to lust or something like that no there's a ton of ways but there is one way to be pure in heart and so I think like this you know it's it's broad it's wide it's not like there's just one not right way there's a many but that's all on the same road he uses these terminology I I just want to I guess pick out these words he uses for each path right so the one that he uses um that that doesn't lead to a good place if you will it's he uses words, wide, the path is easy, many are on it, and he leads to destruction. Those, yeah. are, those four things he yeah. talks about, that path, wide. Um, it would seem it has room for many, right, it, as it's not exclusive. Yep. So when we think of wide, it means it can fit a whole bunch of people. Yep. Well, in terms of what you're thinking, you know, if your God is Allah, if your God is yeah. Buddha, if your God is um, however your, your preference or your drive for your own sexuality, whatever that looks like, um, if, if your path is driving and just being a, a, a good working person and just loving everything about your job, storing up for your mm-hmm. treasures on earth. Yep. If that is your why, wa- there's plenty of room in there. If, you're, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, if your path is, I like my self-soothing bitterness that I have. Yep. I like that I don't have to forgive because I like my own standards. Come on in. It's wide. We'll make more room. We'll keep... We'll keep um, We'll keep paving that out for you. Possessions are what you're looking at. It's wide enough for everyone there. The path is easy, so you're not gonna find a lot of opposition, yeah. right? Um, in one sense, it's smooth sailing you know, ahead, again, because it, it, it would seem that there's no parameters on how wide it can be, so it's, it's easy to make room. And, and if not, if you even come up against maybe some friction, others will make room for you, come on over here. It can keep going to the right or keep going to the left. Um, there's no obstructions many are on it. So if you're looking for company, you're gonna find it. Everyone who is, anyone is there. Um, all the popular people, all the influences of, yeah. of culture are gonna be on this path, right? And they're gonna be drawing people. So there are many people being drawn onto this path. There are billboards, of plenty, advertising many different ways. If you think of uh, like Times Square or something like that during New Year's Eve, yeah. that, that pales in comparison to how wide this right. path is, but right. it's a good microcosm. But at the end, even though the the population on the path is is a lot, and maybe you enjoy a lot of the people on it, um, and and it can often probably dull your senses to the reality that Jesus says, it is going somewhere. It is leading to a place. There is a destination, uh, and Jesus says, that is destruction that is destruction, that's a reality, and oftentimes you can be dulled by all of those other things. But then he says, but gate number two, if you will, um, it has these characters, it's narrow as you said. Um, the path has boundaries, like there, there's a right and there's a left, there's a border, and there are boundaries to this. Christianity, in Christ's way, meaning Christ's um, exposition on the Sermon on the Mount, what he's saying in there, that those are parameters there, it's exclusive. Um, if you like like the bits of Christianity, yeah. like certain things, but you want to cut and paste and take some things out or maybe add some things to, that that's just not going to fit. Right. So he's saying that, hey, it, it is narrow. There's a definition to it. Um, it's hard. So if you think life as a Christian, you know, um, it's not smooth sailing. And in one sense... The path is not straight like you were talking about. It's not smooth. You've got lust that he's just talked about, hatred. We've got to um, forgive our brothers. Um, We've got covetous things in our heart that we want other things. Um, And not only does our forgiveness happen once, but we need to continually do that, right? We can't have hatred or harbor that. Um, But then on top of that, as we're doing that, we get persecuted, for doing those things, for trying to remain pure in heart, for doing these things in the name of Christ, we then um, take on the persecution mm. of what that might be for other Christians. And that's not going to bode well for others who are on a wide path. They're going to come against that. Yeah. Um, so we'll, others will present ways in which we can conform. Yeah. And that goes back to the adding to, and that just doesn't doesn't happen. Then he says, few are on it. Hmm. Okay, Instead of you know having many, there's few on it. So because of those... Um, distractions from others, potentially because of the discouragement, maybe even from ourselves, understanding what it means to have a pure heart, Um, and the dangers. So we've got this predatory, people are looking to devour us, right? Um, You won't find the swarms of people that you see on the other path. Um, There's most certainly a stark difference. However, though there are few, understand that they're saying they're few in comparison to the wide. There are many people around the world who love Christ and so it's not for us to say you're not in it, you're not in it, you're not in it, so I'm one of the three. No, there are a lot of people who love Christ, but in comparison to those who are on a wide path, that's where it's like, oh wow, there is that, that, that difference yep. there. But in all of that, in the few as compared to the many, in all of the distractions, um, uh, though it is difficult, yeah like the other path there's a destination right Mm -hmm. for us that we're on and that path leads to life eternal life more specifically in christ because that's that's our ultimate place of of residence we though who are on this path we know where it leads yeah those who are on the wide path they don't know where it leads and so that what is motivated them is is motivating them is particularly Um, and it has an end in and of itself for us what motivates us even amidst the persecution and the difficulty is that we will be with Christ it's the we're not storing up treasures on if you will this path but we're looking to the end to be with Christ who sustains us through that so those are some interesting things that I found with what how the the descriptors are of the path that's helpful it's helpful as Jesus starts this conclusion and these
1: warnings he makes it clear everybody is on one of two paths Mm -hmm. they lead they're very different paths that lead to very different destinations with eternal consequences. And then almost as if uh, uh, foreseeing what will happen in the spiritual life as we follow God, there are many who claim to speak on God's behalf. There's many who claim to tell us how we should know how to find the paths and how we should be able to see what, what the boundaries of the paths are. And, and there's many who act as prophets and try to tell us uh, what God thinks about these two things. And so there's a warning then that comes next. The warning is to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, mm-hmm. verse 15. So here, Jesus gives a warning to his followers and says, listen, there's there's many who are gonna uh, claim to speak with a divine authoritative intent, that they speak on behalf of God, they're spiritual leaders, they are teachers that's, that try to claim that they know what God's expectations are for his people. What's interesting about these false prophets, as Jesus claims them, is that they, they initially come in sheep's clothing. They look like one of the sheep. So here Jesus brings the sheep metaphor into the followers of God and says, uh, even though they look like one of God's followers, they, 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 they know the right things to say. They certainly have some of the acts of outward, outward displays of a follower of Christ Jesus says it's more important to pay attention to what they what they actually uh, do what the outwork of their life is Mm -hmm. rather than just what you initially hear on their voice because though they look like one of the sheep inwardly their hearts are ravenous wolves what do wolves do to sheep they attack the sheep Mm -hmm. they prey on the sheep for their own for their own self-benefit they bring harm to the flock of god and that's precisely what jesus says will happen and he uses this analogy or illustration of a fruit tree to help us understand how we're supposed to spot them Um, john nolan says this to say in commenting he says no doubt we are to understand that the false prophets have the trappings of piety and righteousness, the obvious marks of being part of the people of God. It will become clear that their falseness is to be spotted, at least in the first instance, not so much from what they say as from what they do. And here's where the analogy of the fruit tree comes into play. Jesus makes it clear that figs come from fig trees. You don't get grapes out of thorn bushes, he says. Mm -hmm. We would understand this, that if if you go out and pick an orange, you got that from an orange tree. Uh, You you didn't go pick an orange out of an apple tree. And then secondly, uh, if you got a healthy orange out of a tree, it's because the tree was healthy. If you got a diseased apple out of the apple tree, it's because there's some problem within the tree itself. Jesus makes this Uh, abundantly clear in Luke chapter 6 he uses the same illustration in Luke chapter 6 verse 43 and here's what he says for no good tree bears bad fruit nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit for each tree is known by its own fruit for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth Speaks. Mm -hmm. Jesus warns us about false teachers, and then he gives us a test of how we're going to spot the false teachers. Look at their life, look at the fruit. And and he's just been teaching for two chapters on the kinds of fruit that ought to come out of a true follower of Jesus. So, uh, the types of actions, the types of words, the types of of, uh, behaviors and heart motivations that are going to be displayed in fruitful lives. And the good thing about this test is that it's certain. Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits. The difficulty is that it's, it's not a quick or easy test. Um, we wanna listen to what someone says or, or quickly note their spiritual giftedness or uh, there's so much charisma with which we're drawn to, to leaders, but Jesus says th- these things aren't good tests. Look at the fruit of their lives mm. uh, and that's what's gonna help us see whether or not they're true
0: right and it's it's not like we don't understand what fruit to look for too you go to galatians yeah. um, what is the fruit of the spirit love joy, yeah. peace patience kindness gentleness you know all of those so those are out there there's other fruit as well not just that but it's not like we don't have fruit to compare it to he just actually had us the, the last two chapters he's been talking about are, are people looking like this yeah. uh, not lusting and all, all anger how's their anger and going you know so forth and so on i should say yeah. Um, he's giving us examples of what that fruit should look like. In in our house, you know, fruit is such an easy example for everyone everywhere. But in our house, so if we're going to get an apple, um, almost, it sounds crazy, but an apple is brought into the room. And the first question is, after listening, we want to hear the crunch. We want to hear that juice as somebody, even though it gets on our nerves some, sometimes, how people eat apples. Um, that being said, we listen for the crunch. And if we don't hear the crunch, we're like, ooh. How, yes. how is that apple right. and you realize that based on its crunchiness its juiciness um, the sound that you hear you realize if it's a we, what we would call a good apple right. or right. a bad right. apple right um, sometimes you bite yeah. into it and um, it looks so good yeah. Yeah. but all of a sudden your teeth sink in and it's soft there's no yeah. crisp there's no crunch to it and it's like uh, it's the most I'm like I gotta eat the rest of this yeah. now because I'm <laughs> supposed to and it's supposed to be good for me or you bite into it, right, and it's not that it's just soft, but now you realize that you've uncovered something that's dark, it's rotten, right. it's started to go rotten from the inside. But, the, but what's interesting to note is that time is what tells. Yeah. It's not all the time that you see somebody and you're like, I know that you're, you're speaking falsely, you're not right. speaking authoritatively on God's behalf. Um, no, sometimes what they're saying sounds good. It's the idea of um, Paul saying you're letting itchy ears be itched, basically, by what is being, what is being said about doctrine, um, because it's palatable in one sense. But if you stop, uh, you wait a little bit more, you're going to see that that fruit doesn't line up. It's not producing yeah. something good. It's actually whitewashed a whitewashed Mm -hmm. tombs is what he calls the pharisees on the inward right They're they're decaying they're rotten and just like a bad piece of fruit or even a plastic one that's set up there as an Mm -hmm. example yeah you don't want to bite into that right right so you're seeing that it's rotten it's not producing but time sometimes is the teller but what you said earlier is is exactly right it will show yeah it will show, it will produce, what's in you will come out of you. The overflow of your heart, what you sow, what you sow, what you sow, will tell where you're rooted, grounded, and what's actually on your tree. Uh, so I think that's, that's key, absolutely. Yep. Well then the third,
1: the third illustration warning then that Jesus gives, perhaps in some ways the most somber or shocking or would even cause introspection for ourselves because I think when we think of people who don't make it in the kingdom, uh, who aren't Christians we we especially in this next section that we're starting in uh, in verse 21 Jesus is going to close it in verse 23 by saying uh, that he will declare to them I never knew from knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness when mm-hmm. we think of workers of lawlessness what probably jumps to our mind is like somebody who makes an edition of America's Most Wanted. They're, right. they're this lawbreaker that's the worst of the worst kind of criminal. But the reason this warning in particular is interesting is, is Jesus says that on Judgment Day, there's going to be m- many people who, who come to Christ and and they look like one of the sheep they thought they were one of the sheep they proclaim to him lord lord look at all of my righteous deeds they they understand who god is this designation of calling jesus lord means that they correctly understand that he's he's uh the ruler he's lord he's uh he's the one in the position of authority and and they repeat they repeat the title twice because their emotions are sincerely into it lord lord they're crawling out and they're saying look at everything i've done they mm-hmm. they've, they've uh, performed miracles they've they've casted out demons they have uh, done these incredible works in yep. jesus name uh,
0: and, and you would think they're miraculous it's, uh, it gives almost the the implication that it's miraculous incredible works right not just Every day I'm, I'm giving food, yes. which is good, but no, no, they went above that. Yeah, This is demonstrably miraculous right. or something. That's a great work. S-
1: sincere acts of righteousness that would have... They, they, they would have assumed they had God's stamp of approval, and certainly if anybody was in, they would have been in. And yet Jesus says that on judgment day he will declare to them, Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. So mm-hmm. I, I think... It, in order to understand what Jesus is saying, let's key in on that phrase: "You workers of lawlessness." That, that, uh, that phrase: "You who work" or "You workers of lawlessness." That there's a participle there uh, uh, that's being translated that brings with it this idea of ongoing there's this continual practice of lawlessness. So understand that Jesus is not saying that there's a group of people who, because they messed up, they really wished they were in, they sinned once in lawlessness, and now Jesus is going to depart. That's not what's happening here, as much as Jesus is saying there's a group of people who by their habitual, continual, ongoing practice, uh, they, they are by nature lawless, and that's why they are condemned. Mm. So that'd be the one thing. Second thing, what's that concept of being lawless? Again, our first thought, we think of uh, the, the worst of the worst kind of criminal, um, but but here, these people, it makes clear they, they probably lived moral, upstanding, righteous lives, but what was wrong? Their, their heart was in rebellion to the lawgiver of the law, and that's the lawlessness that they are practicing. They are in rebellion to the God who gave the law and uh, so then therefore because of that they are now practitioners of lawlessness scribes and the pharisees who uh, continually clashed with jesus mm. you would have thought of them as the moral upstanding citizens of the day uh, but they were lawless in the sense that they didn't understand who the law Pointed to, meaning mm-hmm. Jesus, <clears throat> they didn't understand what was actually expected of them in the law and that's why Jesus walks through the law in all of chapter 5 helping to clear, help them to clearly understand that someone who's truly lawful someone who abides by the law will live in in such a way
0: Right. You would think that almost uh, like you said, the Pharisees who were uh, in theory living yeah. uh, the correct lives, if their hearts matched what the law was intended to, and, I, and I'm if their hearts matched the, the, the righteousness that they uh, in their own minds exuded, yeah. then they would have easily seen who Jesus was and would have just been, yes, yes, right. yes, yes. But I think that it's a shower of this. Would you press, let me ask you this, yeah. would you think that this passage's uh, intent presses us to say, oh, does that mean that non-Christians uh, can be doing all these miracles with Jesus's name? Is, this, is that the point of this passage or is more the passage saying, hey... Uh, those who have the name or wear the mask of a Christian and are working, um, l- looking like they're doing works of, that, uh, of Christians, is that more the implication or the weight of the passage? I, I would say it's more on that second side uh, of, of uh, how you
1: related it here that the, the warning is is that there are people who wrongly profess Christ. Uh, they wrongly think they're acting on behalf of God, and yet their heart is is not right. Um, they have the outward appearance that looks good, but the inner fruit is rotten.
0: Right. First John, I think about, you know, they went out from us. We, we went over First John um, this past year uh, in November in the fall, and they went out from us, but they were not of us. It's one of these things where, right. well, they were with them for a while, right? But when they went out and that, and because they chose to go out from yeah. them, it was apparent, it became apparent that they weren't of the same yeah. flock. So
1: in in this in commenting on this passage uh leon morris quotes g campbell morgan and he says this these people had been active in the service of god morgan says they had done everything but the lord's will and this is the critical thing to be active in religious affairs is no substitute for obeying god And I think that's the key point here, that here's a group of people that they said the right things, even with emotion and sincerity, Lord, Lord. Um, They did the right things, they had all kinds of righteous acts before God, but what does Jesus say in verse 21? They will not enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These people didn't walk in obedience Mm. to the Father. Uh, And I I think we need to properly understand what that means for the followers of Christ to live obedient lives to the Father. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that our obedience earns salvation. Mm -hmm. Uh, What Jesus is saying is that when we are saved, it shows itself in obedient lives that we live obediently to the Father and we do the will of the Father in heaven,
0: right? I think Morris hits on that, Leon Morris. You quoted before. He says the contrast is not between merit, what we do, and grace. He's not contrasting the two. He says, but it's between profession, what you profess, right. and your way of life. Right. It follows suit. There's got to be a fruit of that. Yep. There's got to be a building upon. There's, it, it, they can't be incongruent. Yes. They can't look different at, at all from each right. other. Yeah, that's good.
1: I, I think what. One of the things that will help us as
0: a church as we seek to apply this to
1: ourselves, for us as parents, as we seek to instill the truths of the gospel in the lives of our children, for for our own selves as we think about what it means to follow Christ, we need to carefully think about what uh, repentance is and looks like and how that plays into the doctrine of conversion. What does it mean for someone who's truly saved to have uh, repentance played out in their life? Uh, What is it? We understand that both faith and repentance are two inseparable Graces two sides of the same coin that someone who's truly believed someone who truly is saved both has faith and Has repentance let's key in on repentance for just a little bit because here's a group of people that they said the right things They did the right things, but they didn't do the will of their father in heaven. They didn't walk in that repentant obedience their hearts were far from God. As you think of repentance, remember this, there's three parts at least, probably more, but we could say it this way, that repentance is an act of the mind, it's an act of the heart, and then it's finally an act of the will. And sometimes we get, we, get too, uh, uh, we get wrongly encouraged or wrongly placed confidence in any one of those. If we see just an act of the mind or just an act of the heart or, uh, and it's not followed also by an act of the will, we don't understand. Um, we're wrongly seeing repentance, whereas we haven't seen the full-orbed picture Mm. Of repentance that the New Testament paints. So let's start with an act of the mind. Repentance is agreeing with God about our sin. There's this intellectual you are Lord, I am not. I'm a sinner. Uh, We need to call sin sin and realize uh, that we are sinners and acknowledge that before God. First uh, John makes it clear that that we cannot rightly claim to be a follower of Jesus while we continue to practice sin and refuse to call sin sin That that's a denial of the truth. So there has to be that act of the mind there. where intellectually uh, We we realize our sin secondly It's an act of the heart that there's remorse and sorrow for sin that we actually grieve our wrongdoing and right. sin and and uh, and yet this is different than the sorrow co- that comes with um, the consequences of getting caught or not liking right. how messy right. our sin has made our lives. 2 Corinthians 7 talks about a a worldly sorrow that produces uh, uh, death and destruction. Right. Contrast that with a godly sorrow that produces repentance and leads to life. Yeah. So there's there's the act of the mind there's the act of the heart but then finally there is the act of the will that we we change our resolve when you think of repentance as a 180 and about face yes it's agreeing with god about our sin yes it's being sorrowful for our sin but it's turning the other direction and resolving to no longer live that way here's here's a group of people that they said lord lord and look at all the things we've done but in they did not do the will of the father Mm. Uh, they continued to walk in disobedience to their own will. And and so let us be careful that some, someone may be emotional in their profession of faith, someone may be correct in the words they say about their profo- sure. profession of faith, but if, if uh, their life is not also accompanied by the fruit of now doing the will of the Father, um, the New Testament would not assure us and give us reason to hope that, hey, everything's okay, they are truly saved. Here Jesus gives this warning. Now, now only God is the one that truly knows hearts, but clearly Jesus is warning and trying to instruct. Uh, be certain, know for sure, realize yeah. not everyone who thinks they're in is in, only the ones who do the will of the Father. And mm-hmm. so we would be wise to examine that as a people.
0: Right, and I think that certainly, and you brought out and noted that as parents, right, with our children, um, when we see them make professions, it's it's not something that, wow, you've, you've said the right thing and and we're done. Yeah. Um, it's not easy believism. Uh, certainly the, there were a lot of good things about the Great Awakenings, um, but yeah. part of what the Great Awakenings um, brought out is this altar call mentality where if you respond to an altar call you're saved, go on home, you're good to go, mm. and the discipling never happens, and what happens um, typically is because they're not truly rooted, yeah. uh, they're not going to produce the fruit that would be a kingdom fruit, they're not in the vine, and the yeah. vine only produces life in Christ by a spirit, um, and the fruit therein, so I think that, uh, I think it's a, this is a sober warning, and it's, yeah. it's mentioned elsewhere in the epistles as well, where we're supposed, we're supposed to take stock of our salvation, right? right? Uh, not as if we've earned it, but that are we still producing fruit by God's Spirit? Um, and so are we still um, crucifying the flesh, yeah. as Paul would say, or are we still um, uh, looking to kill these things or to cut off our hand and gouge out our eyes, as, yeah. you know, as uh, in Mark's gospel it talks about as well? Um, these are things that we have to take sin seriously because there's a, de- a destination, there are paths that we're, we're both on. Yeah. Uh, I think it's good. Keener, uh, Craig Keener says it really basically like this. At the end of the day, behavior flows from character. If mm-hmm. you were to modernize something like that. Yeah. And if you took behavior flows from character, you could put that up on a billboard and it can mean whatever it wants. But that's, that's completely encased in the Sermon on the Mount. What I mean by mm-hmm. that is take your heart, go, go through all of these things in Matthew 5 and, and 6. Go from the beginning of the pure in heart, you know, and the, the Beatitudes, the peacemakers. Are, are we looking to have hearts like an actual Christian? And that means that it all starts here, um, and it's our actions are going to flow from that yeah. point. So um, it's, it's really important that we, we look at that. So, um, you know, right now, obviously, our, our world and... Uh, certainly the u s and uh, suggests that there 's a lot of chaotic things right, and I think that this kind of brings up a lot of things so what, what, what might you say to somebody um, looking or listening, or certainly those yeah. in our church that are like wow there 's just a lot going on right now. What, what am I to do with this passage in light of right. I, I think I think one of the, one of the things
1: that that I would say to to all of us in this situation, especially in the upheaval that we're facing in this COVID-19 crisis and ordeal uh is is to realize that that the coronavirus is not the biggest threat that we're facing today mm-hmm. um the coronavirus points to the biggest threat we're facing today right. but it's not the biggest threat it, it has so consumed every aspect of the last two and a half months of our lives that it's difficult to see anything else but remember that the greatest threat we're facing today deals with our sin before a righteous and holy god Uh, and so the gospel lies at the heart uh, and center of our response to that so think think of it this way that when one of the things that jesus says in this passage not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, keep in mind that that day that Jesus is speaking of is judgment day. That day is judgment day where Jesus himself will stand as judge. And one of the big picture things we've got to keep in mind is that judgment day is coming. We are on one of two paths and one day Jesus will stand as judge. And and our sin is so ugly, so vile, so wrong that uh, it, it demands payment in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, and and yet I think as Christians, even, even as Christians, those of us who understand everything I've just said, mm-hmm. we've come to grips with the fact that Judgment Day is coming. Um, we can start to lose the significance of the ugliness of sin, and. Uh, and, and it doesn't bother us when there's anger in our hearts towards a right, uh, it, it doesn't bother us to the degree that it should when, we're, right. when we want to take retaliation and vengeance against fellow man. Lustful looks of the heart don't bother us like they should. Um, storing up treasures in heaven and living for the American dream can begin to creep into our priorities in life such that that, that just doesn't bother us as much as it should. And yet, um, things like this virus serve as a warning call, a a gracious warning call from God to say, wake up, pay attention. Uh, Your sin against a righteous and holy God, Christian, your sin against a righteous and holy God, my sin against a righteous and holy God should bother me more than the discomforts of a stay at home order for two months. I should lose more sleep over the sin in my heart than I should over a falling stock market I should uh, these things should bother us because Mm -hmm. judgment day is coming John Piper says it this way hardly anyone in the world feels the horror of preferring other things over God who loses any sleep over our daily belittling of God by neglect and defiance but oh how we feel our physical pain how indignant we can become if God touches our bodies. We may not grieve over the way we demean God every day in our hearts, but let the coronavirus come and threaten our bodies and he has our attention, or does he? Physical pain is God's trumpet blast to tell us that something is dreadfully wrong in the world. Disease and deformity are God's pictures in the physical realm of what sin is like in the spiritual realm. Calamities are God's previews of what sin deserves and will one day receive in judgment a thousand times worse. They are warnings. They are wake-up calls to see the moral horror and the spiritual ugliness of sin against God. Would that we could all see and feel how repugnant, how offensive, how abominable it is to treat our Maker with contempt, to ignore Him and distrust Him and demean Him and give Him less attention in our hearts than we give the style of our hair. Mm. So I think mm. one of the things to take note of is the fact that Judgment Day is coming yeah. um, and, and these types of calamities and pandemics serve as a gracious warning from God saying wake up, repent, I'm the king. Uh, your your life needs to reflect that whether you're an unbeliever who needs to turn to Christ for salvation or whether you're a Christian who, who needs to let Christ be Lord and needs to yield yourself to Christ's rule and reign and righteousness in every aspect of your heart, your words, your thoughts,
0: your behaviors, your priorities of where you store up treasures. Mm-hmm. It's convicting the, the way in which Piper put that, especially um, the these peripheral things that we're so concerned about, the... Um, the reality that we're in a race and that there's a finish. Yeah. Run to finish the race, Paul yeah. says. Um, I think that we let other things just distract us, and certainly, a virus is one of those. There are many things that could. This this virus currently is what's uh, almost eclipsing our, our thought process on what it means to delve into who God is. That it yeah. stops us, uh, and then we turn and say, "Let's let's just evaluate everything other than our own lives." Mm-hmm. Right, um, and you you can. You can go off on so many different trails in regard to what people are espousing that this yeah. virus is or pretending that um, they know exactly the mind of Christ yeah. in regard to what exactly it is. And it, and it can be dangerous if you do that, because yeah. again, we're supposed to be caught up in the glory of God and realize that uh, though we what we bring to to God is our sin, He forgives that and to, to, to go deeper, yeah. to go deeper than just a confession of understanding that, right? To pursue Him. Um, You know this quarantine is going to build is going to bring out uh um potentially panic in people fear certainly in people all of these um these emotions um, which is going to reveal more particularly where your message is going next week in these last verses and verses 24 through 27 where you where you built your house Um, what does that look like who is the foundation of that. But I think that we need to take stock of our sin because that's certainly a teller yeah. um, of where we might have uh, um, where our heart truly lies, what we need to yield to God, what we need to trust Him in, that He is sovereign and bigger yeah. than all of these things, um, whether it be finance or anything else. Um, again, this is a sober warning, and I, I'm actually going to close with a, um, a thought that Craig Keener has again on this. Because I do want to keep it serious. This is this is what the passage is. I don't want to make it something else, and then at the end say, "Hey, but let's put a bow on it." Jesus saves you, and and He does. He he absolutely does. But He's saying something so serious that He's you're on a path. Understand what path you're on, Um, and um, you need to respond with your heart for those who are in Christ. Craig Keener says this. One wonders. How many members in our churches today assume that they are saved when in fact they treat Jesus' teachings lightly? People who give no thought to their temper, their mental chastity, their integrity, and so forth during the week then pretend to be religious or even spiritually gifted in the church. Do we have the courage to communicate Jesus' message as clearly as he meant it to be conveyed? To warn ourselves and others that it is possible for people to assume they are saved and yet be damned? Mm. Some texts in the Bible provide assurance to suffering Christians that the kingdom is theirs, and there are plenty of them. This text challenges cultural Christians, those following only Christian tradition rather than Christ himself, to realize that they need conversion Mm. the question posed here is what path are you on um in essence when it comes down to our salvation are you truly converted have Mm. you repented have you taken stock of your sin in light of who christ is and the work that he's done on the cross and then walk in worshipful adoration knowing um Humbly knowing that yeah. Christ is sufficient along the way, the path is narrow. He'll bring you through. He'll yeah. encourage you in the process because the end goal is life with Christ. The yeah. end goal is life with Christ. Great. Death no longer has its sting. So this coronavirus is nothing in comparison mm-hmm. to our real issue, which is sin. Yeah,
1: that, that's good. That's good. Uh, I appreciate. Kevin's uh, words there that this is a stern passage and our our goal with this is not to frighten any uh, It's to speak the truth with which what christ was driving towards and as as you've heard this as you've considered this If you have any questions about your own conversion or what it means to be Forgiven how to have a relationship with jesus christ or perhaps you've thought you're a christian and now you Perhaps something we have said has made you want to explore further. Don't hesitate to reach out to either one of us. There's many resources that we would love to pass on to you or a conversation that we could have to help you understand for sure what it means to have a relationship with Christ or how you can understand your own conversion uh, if that's something that you're wrestling through. Right. Um, let me close in prayer. Church, we miss you and we're looking forward to being back together again. Father, I thank you for who you are as God. Um, I thank you that you uh, made salvation clear to us and and cared enough about us to give stern warnings. You know that each one of us is on one of two paths and you wanted to help us understand how we could f- find the path that is narrow, that is difficult, that leads to eternal life. Father, I pray for each person who has listened to this that they would have that assurance. Father, I pray that uh, you would protect those with uh, those who are truly saved who might be wrestling or have sensitive consciences, mm-hmm. who, that you would not allow uh, doubt to creep into uh, uh, unhelpful doubt to creep into the life of an unbeliever such that they wouldn't find answers. Would you comfort those who are afflicted and yet who are truly on the narrow path? Father, would you afflict the comfortable, those who mm-hmm. think they're on the narrow path but who are Uh, actually on the wide path headed to destruction. Would your spirit bring conviction that leads to eternal life, we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.